Welcome to No Ordinary, Ordinary women. women, the podcast where two ordinary broads talk about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and, and the, the bad shit crazy. Hey, Rose. Hi, Lynn. <gasps> what was that? Hey, girl, how are you? I'm so good. I don't know. We sat here and talked and ate chips and guacamole um, before we got started. And now my margarita is gone. Yeah, we're one margarita deep. One very big margarita. You're, that's what she said. <laughs> um, I do want to do a big old shout out today to Taqueria Poblano up in Northern Virginia. Um, the crew up there has uh, sent down some margarita mix with my mother. So my mother used to live in Alexandria and um, she had this favorite restaurant that was like a half a block from her house and they went there several times a week. Well, since they've moved to Virginia, to Charlottesville, she doesn't obviously go there, but they had to go up for a funeral or something, sadly. And of course, they went to Taqueria and she's like, do you want anything? And I'm like, oh, I want the margarita mix because I love their margaritas so much. That's awesome that you can so buy I have, it. Yeah. So I got two quarts of it from Taqueria. We're going to tag you guys in this and it's a margarita mix. And then I came here and I brought my big old margarita glasses that I got from my past life at TGI Fridays. They actually have TGI Fridays on them. I wonder if I'd scratch that off. Oh, do off. they? Can I scratch that off? Oh, they do. That's so funny. Yeah, I got them there. But they're beautiful margarita glasses. They have the swirl in the, they're like hand blown. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, so we have margaritas and I'm about done with mine. So you're going to hear a lot of ice clinking in the glass because so I'm freaking thirsty. <laughs> so anyway. They're so, really, really good. I'm glad you like them. That's why we drank them so fast. They are the... I mean, their margaritas, we'd drive up to my mom's, and you know, you'd get up there, like, driving from here to D.C., and it was like, ugh, traffic, whatever, and then you get there, and she's like, let's go to Taqueria, and you're like, you have two of these margaritas, and you're like, boosh, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, you're like, okay, time for bed at 6.30. <laughs> so thanks, Mom, for bringing the margarita mix from Northern Virginia, and thanks, Taqueria Poblano, for being the bomb.com. That's so. super delish. So how was your week, Rose? It's been good. I've been able to go to work all week. Which oh, is nice! Amazing. Oh no, actually, no. That's that's, that's a lie. That's not true. <laughs> that's a total lie. Yeah, Monday, um, Sunday yeah. night, there was a shooting in Charlottesville. It's very sad. It's very very sad and very sad. Um, so Monday schools were closed and everybody was sheltering in place yeah, because they had not apprehended the person who was suspected of committing the crime and so everything was my office was closed was your your office is never closed. no my office is never was chris's closed. office closed chris's office was yeah. closed but he was super busy um so he couldn't like daycare was closed and he couldn't watch lily and charlotte oh no so i stayed home and he was in his office all day working it's it's it was and it just if you guys, I mean, I'm sure everyone under, knows what's going on in what happened at UVA. It's just a sad, tragic, awful, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, series of events. Everything that's happened, the poor families. I can't even imagine being I know, that, I the mother either. or father or whoever, auntie or whoever, of any of those people um, who were even injured. Or right, killed and getting that phone or call even or the, the suspect. Police. I mean, that's, yeah, the that's suspect, still a just, hard. 
like the, the families of the the parents of the suspect. It's like I always, you know, it's I'm hard. One of, I'm one of those weird people that totally feel sorry for the team that loses the Super Bowl. Like my heart breaks for them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just a weirdo <laughs> like that. I know. So when something like this happens, although I'm not condoning any bad behavior or any violent behavior, I always feel sorry for the family of this person because. They didn't ask for this. Right. And, and now they're being like, you, you know, that the media is just like bombarding them outside yeah. their home. And they're trying to figure out what the hell happened. What, yeah. What's going on? Where did we go wrong? Like what? And, and most of the time, it's not their fault. Sometimes no. And but, you know, is, but... as a mom or dad, they're going to be like, what did I? Why is it? My, you know, oh, they're yeah, going to. Yeah. yeah. And so it just makes me sad for everybody involved. And the, you know, the indication of why it happened makes me sad. And it's just a lot. And to live in a small town like this, you know, when uh, my sister said this best, when Charlottesville's on, uh, when Charlottesville's talked about in the New York Times, it's never a good thing. Yeah, right. And yeah, and I agree. It, it just it hits this little town. It and does. I, and I think anybody, I mean, everyone knows that there's these there are these mass shootings going on everywhere, and you always feel sad about it but when it hits you so close to home and i think probably a lot of people at this point have had the experience yeah unfortunately where it's yeah happened in their town and it just hits you differently and it's it's so real and just well it shakes awful. you yeah. it shakes you because like monday morning it was you know shelter in place do not go out lock your doors and that's just a weird feeling i live very close to town very close to the university and I was like, okay, so let me find my pepper spray because I have to walk my dog. But like, do I not walk her today? And, you know, then she gets like wiry and crazy. Yeah. But I just feel like, you know, so I, I walked her and I brought my mace with me. I found that because I had taken it off my keychain when I traveled one time. But I just it's just it's sad. It's just sad because we had no idea what was going on or why or who this person was yeah, or anything. Either. And so, you know, we didn't have to be that scared. But at the same time, we didn't know that. So right. it, was, it was we didn't know anything about yeah, what was going on. Yeah. So. so, yeah, it was a pretty t- it was a pretty tough week. But otherwise uh, and then Tuesday, you didn't you didn't have daycare either. Right. Yeah. So ever since the pandemic, our daycare is like, I don't I don't know. They decided to close all of a sudden on Tuesday to practice active shooter training, which I, is not I mean, I'm glad they're practicing. But at the same time, I'm like, you can't just close all of a sudden for it, two days in less than a 24 hour. Right. notice. People have jobs. Yeah. That's why they hire you. They hire you to watch their child or children while they're at work. So then you you close like on a whim and go, oh, we're going to do an active shooter training, active, shoot, active shooter training, which is great. But why didn't they do that on Monday and as they sh- soon as they apprehended And they the were suspect. just closed on Friday for Veterans Day because that's like a good random day to close. And yeah, because, yeah, you it's just like, yeah, so Charlotte's schools were closed two days last week and Lily's were closed one. And then Lily's school was closed two days this week. I'm like... <laughs> Oh, my gosh. On I Tuesday, I'm like, Chris, I have to go to work. Like, I have to go to work. <laughs> I'm lose my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what's so great about having, like, because we had, for the most part, like a someone at home, like a babysitting from their home. Oh, yeah. And they yeah. called her Nana. And yeah. she was like, my kids loved her. And she had she had that she had that down to like she had it. A fine old machine, a fine oiled machine going on her yeah. house. Everything was in a system. She like it was perfect. And so none of this, I didn't deal with any of this shit. Yeah, ever. I can't. It was so nice. 
It's frustrating so, for yeah. sure. We have I, two and I half can't imagine. And daycare is too expensive to deal with that bullshit. Oh, I know. Believe frankly. me. Like I it's don't so even know. Not even cool. So. so whatever. So you talk about today, Rose. Well, I'm going to give a trigger warning for mine. Okay. Because this one, there's some um, child sex abuse. I don't go into it. Like I don't get detailed at all. Okay. I just kind of, you know, say it's there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Just heads up. Okay. Um, this story's a little a little creepy, but it's really, really interesting. Um, just the the um, brainwashing that goes on is really oh my interesting. God. Okay. I'm ready. So um, Maybe I should make myself another drink. <laughs> no, because then you'll fall asleep. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm like, I'm ready to slam some, slam some drinks today. I'm like, is there anything left in this cup? You have to wait till I'm done. You're going to be like, please hurry up. Talk fast, Rose. Talk fast. <laughs> All right. So Bobby and Mary Ann Broberg lived in Pocatello, Idaho with their three daughters, Jan, Susan, and Karen. And Lynn, you'll probably know this story okay. once I get into it. Okay. In 1972, the Brobergs welcomed Robert and Gail Birchtold to the neighborhood, and they struck up a friendly relationship. Both families were extremely religious, and the Broberg girls loved to spend time over at the Birchtolds with their children, who were around the same age. They say, like, every person in the family had someone Oh, yeah, the same yeah, age. Right. Yeah, right. So it was cool. kind of cool. The Birchtolds had five kids, and the Brobergs had three. Over time, it was specifically Robert grew close to the Brobergs, and soon he became the three young girls' favorite brother B, or just B. That's what they called him, usually B. Huh. Robert would drive the girls to school every day along with his boys, who attended the same school, and he would spend time with Bob Broberg, too. Robert had become extremely friendly with Marianne as well, and had discussed his failing marriage with both Bob and Marianne. Oh, no. So the two f families became really, really good friends, and there were some red flags that were ignored, and some weird things started happening. Mm, why did I... I almost said at the beginning, were they swingers? <laughs> no, anyway, go ahead. not really. <laughs> go ahead. Not really? Okay. <laughs> no. So... Robert started to increasingly spend time alone with Jan, who was around 11 or 12 at the time. Robert was the husband. Robert is the husband. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So the Brobergs even allowed Robert to lie down beside Jan as part of his therapy. So, okay. So what? the they were LDS. And the church, for some reason decided that Robert needed counseling. I don't know. It doesn't say what happened or what, but yeah. they, they sent him away for counseling. And when he came back, he told Bob and Marianne that he was being treated because he had suffered abuse as a child. And he told them that he had had sex with his aunt when he was four years old. And <sighs> he's like, part of my therapy is just to spend some time alone with your daughter. Would you <gasps> mind? No. And... They were like, well, yeah, that's fine if it's going to... Oh, that was creepy. That was so weird. The top just popped off. Sorry. The top of the shaker popped the off. The top of the shaker. And there's nothing in the container, which is even weirder. <laughs> so Bob was like, well, that's fine if it's going to help you, you know? Oh, no. No. Nope. Robert's I mean, like, like, go find somebody else's kid, not mine. No. Right, right. So Robert's like, uh, you can call my doctor and ask him. It's 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 real. Like, no, you know? no, no. And Bob was like... No, I trust you. Like, if that's mm -mm. what you need, go ahead. 
And so after, as Lynn screams in the background, don't do it. I was screaming this whole time. Oh my I'm god! Like, like no, yeah. get a blow up doll, dude. No. So after Jan would go to bed, he would lay down next to her, and her parents were like, and they, he would listen to these tapes talking about like I, I don't know some kind of therapist on the tape talking about something. Um, this poor kid is like, what the. F- this guy doing in my room but it was also people thought that maybe at that time he was giving her some kind of sleeping pills beforehand oh and so then he was abusing her at that time too um but her parents did not know they were like super naive and they sound like they really they were really good parents and they just they just didn't didn't think that somebody yeah. would do that. They They're were just, just that naive, yeah. yeah. And they loved this guy and thought he was like their best friend. Mm. So at this time, he was also having inappropriate relations with Marianne and Bob. He had been flirting with Marianne for a while, and they eventually fooled around a bit, but it didn't go much further than that. But Marianne was pretty into it. Like, she said she would think about him all the time and it was like really exciting to her because they had been married for like 12 or 13 years at that point yeah and so it was it was exciting for her because it was like oh he's interested in me and Mm. wait go ahead so you you said something else you said he was had a relationship with bob too yeah so bob tells i really should have made another drink (laughs) you should have warned me I give you a trigger warning. Oh my God. <laughs> you should have been like trigger warning, pause, cocktail. <laughs> so then Bob Bob tells this super weird story about how so Bob owns a, a flower shop, and Robert comes in one day, and he would come and hang out with him sometimes. He's like, and he comes in one flower? day, and he's like, Bob, I really need to talk to you. Let's go for a drive. And so they get into the car, and Robert's driving and talking about, like, how he's no longer attracted to his wife, and he they don't have sex anymore, and he really needs to have sex. And suddenly he's like, oh, could you just give me some relief? And they're, like, laughing, like, ha, 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 that's funny. You're you're super funny. So Bob's, like, getting a little uncomfortable, like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, no. And then Robert's like, oh, Bob, it's just kid stuff, and I've got to have relief. And so... I'm sure there was more to that conversation, but then Bob reaches over and jacks him off. Uh, what? Yeah. Gross. And these are two, like, super religious conservative men in the LDS okay. church. So, okay. I'll just keep my opinions to myself <laughs> right now. Yeah, when I read that, I was like, what the what? F- fuck? I mean, clearly, Bob... Anyway, okay. Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I, just... I know what you're thinking, but... Robert is what he's doing is he's grooming the family. He's absolutely he's, he's grooming them and he's getting them into a position where they can't turn on each other. They have to like I can't say if I'm cheating on you, I can't say, oh, well, I don't know. That's not a good scenario. But none yeah, of them's going to bring never up cheat on you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> none of them's going to bring up like that. Right, Bob, because Bob might being, be doing something to their daughter. Right, yeah, because right. they oh, yeah, have to. Totally they have them. to be. Ugh. Yeah. So Jan, by all accounts, says she had like a really good childhood. And even her time with the Birch Toads, I don't even know if I'm saying their last name right. But um, she says like it was amazing and she was so happy. Like all the kids were so happy. She doesn't know. I mean, we don't know that she was being abused at that time. And she obviously didn't know 
if well, she you was. Think she, they think she, you, you said that it was suspected he was giving her sleeping pills or she doesn't even right. remember. Yeah, so she wouldn't remember. That would be the best and, scenario, I guess. Right. And, I mean, um, not the best scenario, but she in the situation. loved him, like loved him, Aww. like the best uncle ever. There's pictures of her and she looks so happy. She's like hanging out with him and stuff, which are really disgusting to look at now. Oh, my God. He just made her... Ugh. Right. She trusted him like he was her second dad. Oh, my God. So one day when she's 12, when Jen is 12, Robert goes over to her house and asks her mom if he can take her to her horseback riding lessons, which isn't really weird because he would take her all mm-hmm. kinds of places. He'd take her to the movies and stuff. Right. Um, and Marianne was kind of hesitant because it was a school night and... I think these were, like, he was taking her to horseback riding lessons. It wasn't her, like, it wasn't a regular thing. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of like, well, I don't know, I don't know. Making up reasons she couldn't go for whatever reason. And Mm -hmm. Jen keeps begging her. And finally, Marianne's like, okay, okay, you can go. So instead of going horseback riding, he drugs Jen. He tells her, "Um, you have to take these allergy pills because we're going to the horses and you're allergic. You're a fucking, oh, I hate this guy. And... Once she knocks out, he moves her into his motorhome and takes her to Mexico. What? Yeah. Where do they? Where were they? From Idaho. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. I was like, did I miss that they were in like a you know a bordering state? Oh my god! So when Jan wakes up, she's restrained and she's alone in like the bedroom on the bed, and she hears voices coming through like a little white speaker, and the voices coming through the speaker say that their names are Zeta and Zethra and that they're aliens and they tell they say Jan you're also an alien and your mother <gasps> is your biological parent but your your father your biological father is actually an alien you did this to your nephew not this but you told him he was an alien <laughs> <laughs> I was like what <laughs> not this not this but you told him he was I an alien tell Aaron <laughs> When my nephew Aaron was little, and I I used to live with them, and um, when he was You're little, like, what are you talking about? they had a dog Ajax, and he would dig these big holes in the yard, and I would tell him that Ajax was trying to dig up the spaceship that was under there because there's a big spaceship that was buried, and that was where he came from. <laughs> You're so mean. You're such a mean aunt <laughs> that he was an alien. Uh, I'm still their favorite aunt, though. So, yeah. Well, I hope so. Aren't you their only aunt? No, they have. My Aunt Sharon, this great aunt, but still. And then they have um, Caniela's wife. I know, but you're their only real aunt, like, but, you know, like. Eh, it's not so what? Don't even try to tell you're the favorite aunt. You're their only aunt. <laughs> Evan told Christina that I'm his favorite aunt. Okay. So, better aunt than you. I'll have to talk with him next time I see him. <laughs> so, the voices in the box, Zethra, Zeta and Zethra. Tell her that she's been tasked with a mission and that she has to have children with a male <gasps> that they chose. And if she failed, her younger sister, Susan, who was also half alien, would be forced to replace her. What the fuck kind yeah. of crazy shit is this? So, and he had, before this, he had, um, Robert had taken the kids to movies about aliens. He always talked about aliens. He was kind of like planting oh, the seed, grief. you know? And so... She passes out again in the in the motorhome, and when she wakes up, her restraints are off, and she walks out into the main part of the motorhome and finds Robert there. And in her, you know, brain, her child brain, she believes that he was the man that was chosen by the aliens. Oh, good grief. And so... Poor thing. 
that's as far as I'll go with that because I can you can guess what happens. Mm. So meanwhile, the Brobergs waited days to report her disappearance because yeah. they didn't want to upset Gail, his wife, and their children. And because she was saying, no, he's not doing anything. I'm sure it's fine. Like, and then... Uh, no. Yeah. My kid doesn't come home tonight. You're getting reported. And they also Sorry. didn't believe that he would actually hurt her. Like, they, they trusted uh. him that much that they... Never thought that he would hurt her. No thanks. So actually, um, Bob actually, the her dad says in a in a documentary that he never had any inkling that Robert had sexual designs on Jan. We weren't really sure even then what a child molester was. I don't know how we could have been so gullible when there were so many red flags. So that's what I'm saying. Like the man asked you to help relieve him, and you're another guy in the car. Do you not think he's a little bit of a perv? Right. And you're letting him around yeah. your kid. Now, the woman, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying she's in the right. You know, she's not. But, I mean, you know, he, their attraction, whatever, they've spent a lot of time together. But the man, it's like, when a guy, but then again, he could have been like, maybe he's more interested in men. So right. He, I don't know. Yeah. I'm speculating. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. My, my brain's going to explode in about I, 10 seconds. I know. Like, I, I thought this... I I was where I'm where you are, but Jan says that her parents were just that night. Like a lot of people, after her documentaries came out, a lot of people were like, "What the hell? Are, what the hell is wrong with your parents?" You know? Yeah, yeah. And she's like, "They were just that naive. They didn't. They didn't think that he would do anything." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" I have a really hard time believing that. But as my little nanny would say, "Don't trust a nobody." Yeah. <laughs> Especially not someone who's asking to lay down with your daughter. No. Ew. So a few months later, with the help of Robert's brother, who is not a fan of Robert, they track him down in Mexico. And Robert had married Jan in Mexico because the age of consent at the time was 12, which is probably why he waited until she was 12 to take her. So they go back. They take him back to Idaho and Jan... Tells everyone that nothing happened, that she he just took her camping because she thinks that the aliens are going to get her sister if she doesn't fulfill this mission oh of God. having a child with him. Like she's that brainwashed. She probably just neared her period yet. She can't even get pregnant for fuck's sake. Right. I mean, I don't oh I don't know. God. So then Robert's wife, Gail, goes over to the Brobergs and says that if they don't drop the charges against her husband, his dirty laundry with Bob would be aired. <gasps> Oh, good grief. So she must have known about it, I guess. And, like, what the fuck's wrong with her? I don't even get it. Like, I mean, obviously, she was probably also abused in some way. Well, he, yeah, he definitely was doing something to control her mind, too. Right, yeah. Good grief. And, obviously, Bob doesn't want that to happen because they're very conservative. Oh, and yeah. That would, like... Especially in that community. That yeah, ban them okay. from the community. No. So Bob and Marianne sign affidavits claiming that they believe Robert probably thought that he had permission to take their daughter. And everyone's shocked. Like, the prosecutors and the public are like, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, he after kidnapped all her. This, well, and then they they're not going to charge them, like, with, like, yeah. not, like monetarily charge yeah. them for the, all the research the, and, um, or the... They try to still press charges, but they don't really get anywhere with it. Oh, my God. So then he somehow, after kidnapping her daughter, he somehow manipulates Marianne into having an eight-month affair with him so that he could continue to have access to Jan. And he no longer lived in the same town, but he somehow was still having an affair with Marianne. 
And what the fuck is wrong with these people? I don't know. Oh, my God. And Jen at the time still thinks that she has to complete her alien mission and that Robert and Robert at the time is still sending her letters and trying to meet up with her. And so two years after the abduction, um, Robert moves to Wyoming to run a recreation center. Oh, great. Be around more kids, dude. And Jan begs her parents to let her work there for the summer. And she starts threatening to, like, hitchhike or run away. And finally, they're like, okay, you can go. (gasps) And so she goes there for two weeks and lives with Robert. And when she returns to Idaho, she disappears. And she leaves a note that says she's running away and because she hated her family's religion and screwed up morals. But in reality, she was taken by Robert from her bedroom. And for some reason, her parents don't report her missing for two weeks. I guess because she left a letter that she was running away. Oh, my God. So Robert, being the creep that he was, he remains in contact with the family the whole time. And Of course, he's a complete narcissist yeah Yeah. and he's calling and saying oh i've heard from jan and i'm worried that she might be working as a prostitute and do you guys have any updates have you heard from her because she's calling me i don't know why she's not calling you Mm. we know why yeah because you're a (laughs) douchebag so the brobergs contact the fbi agent that they had worked with before and he immediately is like robert definitely has her she's 14 at this time he's like he definitely has her even though the parents are like do, do, do. Oh, my God. So they, they're they able to trace Robert to a motorhome in Salt Lake City, and it's decorated with poster-sized pictures of Jan. Ew. Yeah, how disgusting oh God. is that? I just want to snap this guy's neck. And he, they are able to track calls that he was making from a payphone, and they find out that he's enrolled Jan in a Catholic girls' school in, school in California. And he pretended that he was a CIA agent whose wife had been killed, and he had to keep his identity of his daughter and himself secret. And that's oh, how he kept it all, like, good grief, a big secret. What year was this? You still have to have, like, birth records and shit to register for school. 86. Yeah, you can't just register for school without birth records and stuff. I don't know. He don't did something. I don't care if you're in the CIA or not. <laughs> He's in the CIA, Len. Yeah, whatever. He doesn't have birth records. Maybe he faked them. I don't know. Mm. How much does a school look? How much, you know, are they really checking that? No, I mean, I feel like schools do. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I can't assume anything. I just like to hope in one hand and then just throw the other hand to the wind. <laughs> <laughs> so after this abduction, um, Robert's charged with first degree kidnapping and other charges. But he's acquitted by reason of mental defect and sentenced to... How long do you think he was sentenced? For mental defect? Six months. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Am I correct? <laughs> yeah, you are. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, oh, mental defect. No. And he was sentenced six months in a psychiatric facility. Six months and then Lynn alone in a room with him so she can beat him to death. <laughs> oh, I would anyway, love that. Go ahead. Sorry. So in jailhouse tapes, he's heard telling people that it wasn't his fault because he was abused as a child. Oh, no. It's not his fault at all. And... It also wasn't his fault because his mom, when he was a child, he got his mom got sick. And so he had to raise his um, little sister. And so he's just needed to be around. It was part of his therapy to be around the little girl because he's so used to that. Mm. So it was really just. You don't have to say about that, Rose. Fuck off. (laughs) I'm like, you're. Like, first of all, if that's true, that poor little girl, I can't even imagine what happened to her. I know. That's ridiculous. So, meanwhile, 
Jen still thinks the mission is real. Like, oh my God. she's still going on. This has been two she's years. brainwashed, absolutely. Completely brainwashed. It wasn't until she was 16 that she started to realize that it wasn't real. Oh, my God. Because the aliens had told her that if she hadn't had a child with Robert by the age of 16, that she'd be vaporized and that they'd come for her little sister. Oh, my God. So when she turned 16 and nothing happened, she was like, wait a second. And she starts, she tells her sister and then she tells her parents about everything that had happened. So I wonder why she wasn't pregnant at this point. And she realized that Robert had made the whole story up so that he could rape her. Like, this is when she was like, wait a second. And she said that was the hardest part of the whole thing, Mm. was realizing that. That he didn't really care about her. No, I don't think it was that. It was just realizing that this thing she had believed in for so long wasn't real. the whole story. Yeah. And that she had believed it. And I'm sure she felt... Like the pressure that that was put on her. Right. Oh, my God. And I'm sure she felt kind of... Like stupid for believing it that long, and yeah. But I mean, she's fourteen, right? I mean, but but yeah, you know, when you're sixteen, actually, yeah. No, I no, I know you yeah. think stuff like that. So so Jen, you know, continues growing up with her family, and she dealing with her drama, her tra- her drama, her, <laughs> her trauma, <laughs> and she hopes to become an actor. Oh wow, that's cool. And um, in 2003, so decades later, she and her mom Marianne published a book on the incidents. The two of them um, write about how they had been manipulated and cheated by the sexual mm. predator, and they wanted the world to know that they're they're about their ordeal in order to prevent it from happening to anyone else. Oh. And about how, you know, people close to you are usually the ones who do things like this and mm-hmm. get you in people their you grasp. Trust, right. right. Yeah. So Robert starts to take notice of this because they go on a book tour, and he starts stalking them. Oh no! And he follows them around on their book tour. <gasps> And so Jen has to file a restraining order to get him to stop. And he was ordered to stay away from her for the for from both of them for the rest of their lives. And at this time, Jan was also getting help from the biker group Bikers Against Child Abuse. Have you heard Ooh, of them? Oh no, that's not, that's I've a, heard of them before. That sounds cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. biker some biker groups do some badass. Yeah, like, they are really like intense. And uh, I I'd love to. I'll have to look them up because so that's pretty cool. They had hired them to provide security. And oh, yeah. Robert gets into a fight with one of them. And he ultimately is found guilty of this crime, but he commits suicide in 2005 before he can be sentenced. Um, so Jan and Marianne continue to spread awareness with their unusually sh- sad and shocking story and are also producers of A Friend of the Family, which is just a story about the whole ordeal and how he oh my gosh. manipulated the family and whatnot. It's, is it on, like a... I think it's on Peacock. Oh, okay. Um, there are two two movies about it. There's that one and then there's another one. But um, And there, there, I mean, there are multiple like shows and stuff yeah. about it. Tons of information if you Google. Um, to Jan, the main concern is to make people think of the possibilities of such incidents and to ensure that these things remain in conversation irrespective of how people perceive them to be. So I think on A Friend of the Family, I think that was the documentary. Mm-hmm. And the dad came out and said, told his story about his sexual experience with mm-hmm. Robert, even though he was so ashamed of it. Oh, and yeah. they were like, are you sure you want to do this, dad? And he's like, yes, I have to, because I have to show people what kind, how he, how people like this can manipulate a family. Right, like, exactly. He manipulated me, even though they said that like, he even cries in it. Like it was that, that hard for him to talk about, which is understandable. I mean, I just can't even imagine. I can't imagine. Yeah. That. 
Like he must have been like a like a guru or something to be. I, mean, I don't know if that's even the right word. Like a very persuasive person. Oh yeah, I mean these these people are like these narcissistic mm. men are just well even women. They do. They convince you that like if you don't let them do something that you're the crazy one. Yeah, I mean that's like like the podcast I was talking to you about earlier. The guy in that. Oh my god, he's yeah yeah. Absolute narcissist. Gaslight you into thinking you're crazy and that why wouldn't you like I would never do something like that. Why would you ever think that? You know? Even. So I don't know. It's very it's a very I read some things that I will take me a while to get out of my head because I was like, Oh my god. So I don't recognize this story. Why why Well, so it's it's a so she's an actress now. Who is she? Jan Broberg. Um but she I mean she's not like super famous she's like i don't the story doesn't sound familiar to me at all i saw a show on it that's why i thought you would know because i saw like a show on it or something at some point and oh my god it came right up yeah there's a ton of information about it if you google and i i guess that's why i thought you would know because there's so much information out there The story like vaguely vaguely sounds familiar um but i'm gonna look at the a friend of the family and you can look at look at the pictures because it's it's so sickening to look at now but you can see how she was just so comfortable with him yeah that's what like it's at. like pictures of her with her dad you know yeah it's so weird i swear i don't recognize the story at all that's really weird um oh yes it is on peacock oh oh my god good for her for being a survivor and writing about it and making people understand you know like helping people to deal with this kind of thing because you know it makes you have that and I I mean my kids are older now but for you I don't know did it make you have that conversation or think about how you're gonna have this conversation like with your kids about no matter what it's there's no secrets or like it makes you know it brings yeah even though it's a horrible tragic story Mm -hmm. it brings to the surface the important things that we need to tell our kids that we kind of don't want to because we feel like it takes when they're little it takes away their innocence yeah and it's but a hard conversation. I'd to rather have. take my kids' innocence away by giving them knowledge yeah. than somebody else taking away by hurting them. I bought some books um, and I read them to Charlotte about like you have five safe people. Mm-hmm. Who are your safe people um, that you can tell anything to? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if somebody, I don't know, like the whole secret thing yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. So um, we read those once in a while and talk about our safe people and how we need to. Make sure we don't have secrets and we tell people things. And I mean, you know, it's like the whole, you know, it's like telling kids to keep secrets and keep, you know, that was such a big thing during, you know, these kind of this time of when this happened. And it's like, you know, keep secrets, keep secrets. And like, you know, kids should realize the only secrets you keep are is if there's a present. Yeah, right. Like a surprise party or something. Yeah, That's the only secret there is to keep. There's no other secrets to keep. And so this is kind of gross, but the. One of the other daughters, one of Jan's sisters, said that they would sleep over at the at the Birchtold's house sometimes. And one night they were having like a sleepover on like their trampoline outside. They were like all sleeping on the trampoline. Uh-huh. It was the 70s, you know. Yeah. Like. And she woke up and her underwear was down and she was like, what the hell is going on? And he was next to her and he was like, oh, you were wiggling around and stuff. You must have just pulled him down. Uh- and she was like, she felt super uncomfortable. And, yeah. and you know, she had basically what women have. It's like the hair on the back of your neck. Goes yeah, up right. And, but she's yeah. a kid. So she right. didn't realize. Oh, my God. But she she still remembered that as an adult. And, and there were other in, instances that things weird things had happened. And they were like, 
what the hell? Oh my god! But yeah, keep your kids safe. Don't let them like lay in bed with any oh my weird god. men. Look, if a man ever says that, that's you know say, red let, flag. Let me call Lynn. <laughs> it's, slide in my DMs, and I'll tell you exactly what to say to that motherfucker. <laughs> I know. I can't. For me, like as a parent, it's really hard to like read this and not be mad at the parents because I'm like, what the fuck? I know, but I feel like in that community, I feel like everybody is very trusting and loving and caring. And and I'm not I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not I'm not condoning the behavior, but I feel like the people there it's not that they're innocent, they just are really caring, typically very caring, loving people. Somebody would do that. Right. Especially in their own church. And back then, I mean, like you said, we didn't really know about pedophiles back then and not like we do now. And if they had never had experience with something like that, they wouldn't think somebody you know and they don't think like that they wouldn't think somebody would yeah. ever want to do that to their kids so oh, lord it's really oh, sad lord but we're gonna go ahead and make some margaritas and eat some chipotle yes uh, we'll be back be back we're back god damn these margaritas are good rose oh lynn sucked down another one already i swear to god like i cannot help but they're so good. We had some chipotle, some we bowls, you, and then had a salad, and I had a bowl. Yeah, I didn't even eat the whole thing, and that never happens. But And we had some chips and guac. I well, had one mostly chip. I had chips and guac. I had one chip. Lynn had one chip, yeah. I lie. That's I had right. like more than five, six. Ten. <laughs> I'm trying really hard, you guys, to lose weight. We're doing Weight watch. I'm doing Weight Watchers. Are you doing it? Are you really doing it? No, I'm no. not doing it. No, I'm just I'm... watching what I eat. Yeah, I'm just watching everything go down the trap. Oh, anyway, okay. So we're back. We had a little dinner break. Feeling, cocktail mixing. Feeling refreshed. We had some little, little Jose a little triple sec. That's a big bottle of That is a big bottle of tequila. I'm going to sleep with this motherfucker tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, it's really funny. This podcast has really helped me develop my uh, liquor cart. Oh. It's just my cocktail area has been... Quite full. I thought you were going to say running out of tolerance. Room. I was like, you no, had no that way before. Yeah, I do have a tolerance. <laughs> I do have a really high tolerance. Also, this comes out on Thanksgiving. <gasps> Does it really? Yeah. Oh I my god! Happy was... Turkey Day! Happy Thanksgiving, guys! I hope you guys are listening to this. So, what I suggest, okay, now that we realize this, is that you put noise canceling earphones in and just listen to this all through dinner. You don't need to talk to your family. Yeah, that's probably be the best. Yeah, I think it's the best idea because then you'll walk away and everyone will be like, oh, my gosh, they were so polite and sweet. And you just <laughs> nod and smile at everything everyone says. And nobody will offend you. Nobody will bother you. Just have a drink in your hand, eat your dinner, and make sure you wear your hair down over your ears. And if you're a boy, just put one of those, like... Um, like a beanie fleece, on. Yeah, a beanie or one of those little fleece like headbands on. Just say your ears have been cold lately. And just listen to us. <laughs> that one look weird. No, just listen to us. Promise. It'll make your Thanksgiving so much brighter. I might do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What are you going to tell us about so today, today? Is I'm it going to talk- be horrible like mine? Um, no. Okay, good. No. Mine's actually, mine's a pretty cool chick. Sarah Breedlove was born on December 23rd, 1867, on a cotton plantation near Delta, Louisiana. Her parents, Owen and Minerva, Minerva, were enslaved and newly freed. And Sarah, who was their fifth child, was the first in her family to be freeborn. That oh, was wow. a phrase back then. After President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When she was six years old, her mom died. Her father quickly remarried, as they did back then, because how was he going to take care of all these kids? 
Um, but he passed away a year later. So oh sadly, God. this left Sarah an orphan at seven years old. So what about her, her stepmom? I don't know. I guess she just left her. Yeah, I guess. I mean, she wasn't even in the life for a year. So she was probably like, I'm out of here. What state is this? Indiana. Okay, sorry. No, sorry. Louisiana. Sorry. You don't even know what state your own story is in. Comes to Indiana later. Um, so when she was <laughs> so um, when she was six years old. Sorry. God damn it, Rose. <laughs> Did I mess you up? So this left Sarah an orphan at seven years old. Sarah was sent to live with her sister, Luvinia, and her brother-in-law. A f- few years later. The three moved to Vicksburg, Mississippi in 1877, where Sarah picked cotton and was a child domestic servant, although no documentation exists to verify her employment at the time. She was just like probably not getting paid or anything. Uh, Sarah was quoted as saying, I had in her later years in life, I had little or no opportunity when I started out in life, having been left an orphan and being without a mother or father since I was seven years of age. She also stated that she had only had three months of formal education, which she learned during Sunday school literacy lessons at the church she attended during her earlier years. Oh, my God. Can you think of a harder life? It's just so sad. Like your life is already super hard and then both your parents die? Yeah. And then she like has no education or anything and she's trying to survive and living with her jackass brother-in-law. Excuse me. I needed a sip. In 1882, at age 14, she married a man named Moses McWilliams. Because you know me, I got to pick the girls that get married when they're fourteen. I did. I read this, and as soon well, as I read, so funny. Th- mine got married when she was twelve. I was. I read this, and I go, God damn it, not again! What is wrong with us? I thought I was picking. I like. I did not. See, oh, it was so annoying. Well, I picked someone like that wasn't in the eighteen hundreds, so that yeah, she, she wouldn't, wouldn't get married, married when she was fourteen. But this one got uh, kidnapped and married when she was twelve. Oh my god! So anyway, Moses uh, McWilliams' age was never known. In order to escape both her oppressive, that she married him in order to appraise, uh, appraise. She married him in order to escape the working at the poor working environment and the regular abuse from her brother-in-law. On June 6, eighteen eighty-five, Sarah gave birth to a daughter, Aaliyah. Uh, and then Moses, her husband, died two years later. Jesus Christ. It's just like one after the other. Sarah was 20 and Aaliyah was two when when her husband died. Sarah and Aaliyah moved to St. Louis where Sarah's brother had established himself. Her, two of her brothers had established them, themselves as barbers. There, Sarah, Sarah found work as a washerwoman, earning $1.50 a day, enough to send her daughter to the city's public schools. And I was like, so you had to pay for public school back then? I didn't get that. I was like, huh. Yeah, that's really weird. During the eighteen, during the eighteen eighties, she lived in a community where ragtime music was developed. She sang at Saint Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church and started dreaming of an educated life. As she watched the community of the women at her church, she just wanted to be educated and smart. Yeah, like I she bet. saw these women, she was like, "I want that." So Sarah remarried in eighteen ninety four, but soon after left her second husband John Davis around nineteen o three. After determining he was unreliable and unfaithful. Same girl. Same. (laughs) Except Lynn didn't catch on that quick. No, it wasn't that fast, (laughs) but I did leave my second husband for that same reason. At 35, she... uh, Actually, let me back up. He wasn't unreliable. He was just unfaithful. Um, He was a good support. He was a good provider for his children and his family, but he was not a nice person otherwise. Right. At 35, she was determined to make enough money to allow her daughter a a formal... A formal... Education, a (laughs) formal. She was quoted as saying, 
I was at my tubs one morning with a heavy wash before me. She, she told the New York Times this. As I bent over the washboard and looked at my arms buried in soap suds, I said to myself, what are you doing? What are you, what are you going to do when you grow old and your back gets stiff? Who's going to take care of your little girl? So she was contemplating this whole thing of, of right. life and trying to take care of her daughter and having this shitty job. In addition to all of her other problems in life, she was losing her hair. Oh, my God. That's the worst thing. Oh, my God. I was Tell just thinking it. that today. Like, what if I started losing my hair? Yeah. Hello. Welcome to my world. As her great-granddaughter, Aaliyah Bundles, explains in an essay she posted on America.gov's archive, during the early 1900s, when most Americans lacked indoor plumbing and electricity, bathing was a luxury. As a result, Sarah and many other women were going bald because they washed their hair so infrequently, leaving it vulnerable to environmental hazards such as pollution, bacteria, and lice. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, like now they tell you you wash your hair too much. I know. Isn't that funny? I was thinking about that when I read this. My, At, my Charlotte's little friend, our neighbors, uh-huh. told <laughs> She asked Charlotte how often Charlotte bathed, and Charlotte's like, every day? And the little girl was like, oh, we only bathe once a week. Oh. And I was like, oh, once a week? <laughs> I, I mean, I know they didn't bathe that often because they're always wearing the same clothes, but once a week? But that's, I mean, it's better for your skin That's not what to she said. My day. mom says it's better for your skin. I was like, I'm sorry, but I know, kids but don't you, know how to yeah, wipe. I know. I like, can't that's always even, what like, I, I go like, back to. Yeah, like, no, I know. The, yeah. Yeah. The kids, exit area. Kids. Yeah, it's going to be have very stinky skid mark skid underwear. Skid mark yeah. underwear, and that's disgusting. well. And then it's going then you're gonna, they're going to get a rash. It's going to get infected. But then they're in the same clothes like multiple days in a row, and uh, I'm like, are you changing your underwear again? Pop goes a weasel. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely, I yeah, my kids took a bath at least every other day, if not more every day. I it's so it's now, all, yeah. now I have Charlotte. She used to wash her hair every day, but now I have her wash her hair every other day, unless there's. Like she gets like syrup in it or yeah. something, <laughs> which happens often. <laughs> but she still takes a shower and washes her areas every day. Her areas. <laughs> you mean her nose and her mouth? Yes. Well, that too. That yeah. gets dirty. Yeah, for sure. As the 1904 World's Fair was beginning in St. Louis, Sarah's determination was starting to pay off in her personal and professional life. She discovered the... She's discovered the... Great, wonderful hair grower of Anne Turnbow. And Anne later changed her name to Malone. Anne was a native of Illinois with a background in chemistry whose hair strengthening, I'm sorry, hair straightening business was in St. Louis. Within a year, Sarah went from using Turnbow's products to selling them as a local agent. Around the same time, she began dating Charles Joseph, CJ, Walker, a local salesman. Sarah's self-confidence and sales career started to rapidly grow. In July of 1905, when she was 37 years old, she and her daughter moved to Denver, where her sister-in-law's family resided. Apparently, she heard black women's hair suffered in the Rocky Mountains high but dry air. (laughs) (laughs) CJ soon followed, and in 1906, the two made it official. Marriage number three and a new business start. With Sarah officially changing her name to Madam C.J. Walker, Madam was adopted from the women of the from the women pioneers of the French beauty industry. I thought that was cute. That is cute. She continued to sell products from Malone for the other woman, um, 
and develop her own hair care business at the same time. A controversy erupted between Annie Malone and Sarah as Malone accused Sarah of stealing her formula and mixing Stealing her formula, which was a mixture of petroleum jelly and sulfur that had been used for hundreds of years. And I'm like, oh, my God, that had to smell horrendous. Oh, my gosh. Around the same time, she awoke from a dream in which her word in her words, she said, a big black man appeared to me and told me what to mix up for my hair. Some of the remedy was grown in Africa, but I sent for it, put it on my scalp. And in a few weeks, my hair was coming in faster than Faster than it had ever fallen out. It was to be called Madam Walker's Wonderful Hair Grower. <laughs> so what her, is it made her, of? Sorry. Lynn, um, Lynn's trying to play footsie with me. Sorry. She, it was some, there were some things from Africa. It doesn't say really. Like some, there was like some essential oil, like oils and stuff from Africa. Oh, okay. Her initial investment was $1.25. So I want to remind you, the company that she went to work for... That was owned by um, Annie Turnbow, Annie Malone, Yeah, was called the Great Wonderful Hair Grower. <laughs> so she named hers Madam Walker's Wonderful Hair Grower. <laughs> <laughs> she marketed herself as an independent hairdresser and retailer of cosmetic creams. At the time, it was very important to Madam Walker that she transform her customers into invent into evangelical agents who, for a healthy commission, multiplied her ability to reach markets while providing them with avenues up and out of poverty, much like Turnbow had provided for hers. Oh, much by, that's she sweet. had provided for her. For yeah, right. Madam. Okay. Walker's company had trained about 40,000 Walker agents in an ever-expanding number of hair culture colleagues. Holy she, shit. Yeah, that's crazy, right? She founded or set up through already established black institutions. And there was a whole Walker system for them to learn from vegetable shampoos to cold creams, witch hazel diets, and those controversial hot combs. In 1906, Walker Walker, Walker <laughs> put her daughter in charge of the mail order operation in Denver while she and her husband traveled throughout the southern and eastern United States to expand the business. In 1908, Walker and her husband relocated to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where they opened a beauty parlor. parlor and established Leah, Colley, Leah College to train hair culturists. As an advocate of black women's economic independence, she opened training programs in the Walker system for her national network of licensed sales agents to earn generous commissions. Walker's method of grooming was designed to promote hair growth and to condition the scalp through the use of her products. The system, the system included a shampoo, a pomade, stated to help hair grow, strenuous brushing, and applying iron combs to hair. The method claimed to make lackluster a brittle hair become soft and luxuriant. Oh. When she married C... When her married... <laughs> when her marriage to C.J. fell apart in 1912, she insisted on keeping his name. After all, she'd made it more famous than he ever could. Right. I would, too. I mean, was she going to change it and then have to change the whole company name? Exactly. In 1913, Walker traveled throughout Latin America and the Caribbean promoting her business and recruiting others to teach her hair care methods. 
To keep her agents more loyal, Walker organized them into a national association and offered cash incentives to those who promoted her values. I am not merely satisfied in making money for myself, Walker said in 1914. I am endeavoring to provide employment for hundreds of women of my race. And I think that's so cool. That is really giving all these women this power. And she knows because she struggled and yeah, she was selling absolutely. stuff for this she, woman. Nothing was handed to her. Right. And she didn't make much money, I'm sure. No, absolutely not. And for her, it wasn't just about pay. Walker wanted to train her fellow black women to be refined. As she explained in her 1915 manual, hints to agents, open your windows, air it well, keep your teeth clean in order that your breath might be sweet. See that your fingernails are kept, fingernails are kept clean as that is a mark of refinement. <laughs> so she was like teaching these women, you know, like at this point, too, these women were not far out of like all being slaves and, right, you know, yeah. living in these horrible conditions and trying to make. I mean, I'm not saying they weren't still living in horrible conditions, but some of them, you know, could start doing things for themselves a little more freely. Yeah. And they're trying to make lives for themselves having, right. after having been enslaved for years. Right. And establishing some sort of rapport. Right, in that. Yeah. I, I think it's I love it. I love that she did this for women. In addition to training in sales and grooming, Walker showed other black women how to budget, build their own businesses and encourage them to become financially independent. In 1917, inspired by the model of the National Association of Colored Women, Walker began organizing her sales agents into state and local clubs. The result was the establishment of the National Beauty Culturists and ben- Benevolent Association of Madam C.J. Walker Agents. Like, yes! <laughs> I like I that love she puts that. her name on everything. Yeah, she does. In the same way, she organized the National Negro Cosmetics Manufacturers Association in 1917. She addressed the National Negro Business League by saying, I am a woman who came from the cotton fields of the South. From there, I was promoted to the wash tub. From there, I was promoted to the cook kitchen. And from there, I promoted myself into the business of manufacturing hair goods and preparations. I have built my and preparations. I have built my own factory on my own ground. That's so awesome. I love her. At this point, many others were trying to mimic her labels and products. So in order to keep others at bay, she insisted on placing a special seal with her face on every package. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. While her while her mother traveled, Aaliyah, the daughter, helped facilitate the purchase of property in Harlem, New York, recognizing that the area would be an important base for future business operations. Oh, yeah. Madam Walker would become a cosmetics and business pioneer, developing beauty and hair products for black women, serving customers in the United States, Central America, and the Caribbean, recognized by the Guinness Book of Records. It just says the Guinness Book of Records. It doesn't say world records, which is interesting, for being America's first self-made female millionaire. Madam Walker's achievement in the face of radical changes of the 20th century America are impressive and without a doubt. So not even the first... Black self-made female so, millionaire, or the, she's just the first. They say that she was, but there's like, and a lot of the articles I read, there's a lot of controversy with that. Okay. Like, and if you look down at the article, and there's like comments at the bottom, people challenge that constantly. And I didn't delve into that. I just like give it to her. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna go with it. <laughs> We're gonna go with it. That's the two, uh, three. Uh, was it three? Three of the four sources that I used, or was it two, said that she was. And I just was like, ah, we'll give it to her. So, you know, it might not be right, but yeah, crucify me. 
So she helped raise funds to establish a branch of the YMCA in an Indianapolis black community. She pledged $1,000. She also contributed to scholarship funds to the Tuskegee Institute, which was a private historically black land-grant university in Tuskegee, Alabama. It was founded on Independence Day in 1881 by a state legislator. The list of causes, schools, churches, etc., are numerous as to her donations and contributions. In one of the organizations she participated in, there was a silent protest parade on New York City's Fifth Avenue. The public demonstrated demonstration drew more than 8,000 African-Americans to protest a riot in East St. Louis that killed 39 African-Americans. In 1916, Walker joined her daughter in New York, leaving the day-to-day operations of her company to her management team in Indianapolis. In 1917, Walker commissioned Vertner Tandy, the first licensed black architect in New York City and a founding member of the Alpha Pi Alpha fraternity to design her house in Irvington on Hudson, New York. Oh, that's amazing. So in upstate New York, she built this beautiful, like, mansion. And she had this guy, Walker intended for Villa Luardo, which cost 250000 $250,000 to build to become a gathering place for community leaders and to inspire other African-Americans to pursue their dreams. She moved into the house on May 19, in May of 1918 and hosted an opening event to honor Emmett J. Scott. At that time, the Assistant Secretary for Negro Affairs of the U.S. Department of War. Villa Luardo was the intellectual gathering place for notable leaders of the Harlem Renaissance, such as James Weldon Johnson, Zora Neale Hurston, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Langston Hughes. The preservation of Villa Luardo reminds us of her remarkable life once lived. Walker became more involved in political matters after her move to New York. She delivered lectures on political, economic, and social issues at conventions sponsored by powerful black institutions. During War War Here we go again. <laughs> I can't say World War One. During World War One. Walker, good job. I know you did a good job. <laughs> Walker was a leader in the Circle for Negro War Relief and advocated for the establishment of training camp for Black Army officers. In 1917, she joined the Executive Committee of New York Chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, which organized. <laughs> this is the. This is the organization. I misplaced a paragraph. Sorry. This is the organization that had the silent protest parade in New York City's oh, Fifth okay, Avenue. Okay. I was like so stumped by that. I was like, where did that paragraph come from? Um, so that public demonstration drew more than 8,000 African-Americans to protest the riot, a riot that had happened in East St. Louis that killed 39 African-Americans. Oh, also, from 1917 until her death, she was a member of the Committee of Management of the Harlem YWCA, influencing development of training and beauty skills to young women by the organization. Profits from her business significantly impacted Walker's contributions to her political and philanthropic philanthropic interests. Thank you. In 1918, the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs honored Walker for making the largest individual contribution to help preserve Frederick Douglass's Anacosta House. Before her death in 1919, Walker pledged $5,000. So that was the equivalent to $77,000 in 2019. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't figure it for now, but in 
2019, it was 77. So it's probably, probably like the same thing. Nine, yeah, probably the same thing. <laughs> well, I don't know. In 2008, well, yeah, probably about the same. Maybe, maybe 80. Maybe a little, yeah. Yeah. To the NAACP's anti-lynching fund. At the time, it was the largest gift from an individual that the NAACP had ever received. Oh, wow. That's Isn't awesome. that so cool? From a woman. Yes! Walker bequeathed nearly $100,000 to orphanages, institutions, and individuals. Her will directed two-thirds of future net profits of her estate to charity. Walker died on May 25, 1919, from kidney failure and complications of hypertension at the age of 51. Oh, jeez. So young. Imagine what she could have done if she had lived till. I was thinking the same thing. God, she would have just like gone on and on. At the time of her death, Walker was considered to be worth between a half a million and a million dollars. She was the wealthiest African-American woman in America. How much is that now? I don't know. I didn't look it up. Uh, What time did she, when did she die? She died in 1919. So see what three quarters of a million dollars worth now. She was the wealth. uh, I already said that. She was the wealthiest African-American in America. African American. She was the wealthiest African American woman in America, according to Walker's obituary in the New York Times. She said herself two years ago in 1917 that she was not yet a millionaire, but hoped to be some time. She said to herself two years ago in 1917 that she was not yet a millionaire, but hoped to be some time. Not that she wanted the money for herself, but for the good she could do with it. The obituary also noted that the same year, her $250,000 mansion was completed at the Banks of the Hudson in Irvington. Her daughter, Aaliyah Walker, later became the president of the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. What'd you find? So $575,000 in 1919. What is your guess? Um, Two million? No, it was, no, four million now? Nine million. (gasps) Wow. She had a lot of money. She go, girl. Oh, you're not supposed to say that. Yes, good job. Why can't you say that? I don't think you're supposed to say that anymore. Go, girl? Go, girl. Or no, maybe it's yes, queen. I don't know. Something. Oh maybe God. you can say go, girl. You're going to be canceled, Lynn. I know. You're saying the wrong thing. <laughs> I tried so hard. <laughs> I tried so hard. <laughs> okay. So Villa Luardo was sold following Aaliyah Walker's death to a fraternal organization called the Companions of the Forest in America in 1932, which is kind of weird. The house was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1979. The National Trust for Historic Preservation has designate, has designated the previously owned property a national treasure. Um, so I watched a little bit about the house, and there was a couple that lived in it, like, not that long ago, and they owned it, and they did a ton of work on it. Yeah, and they were. It's just, it's like, like pristine. It's so beautiful. Did her daughter have any kids? Um, no, she did because they said something about her granddaughter. Okay, wrote so an essay. They might still be alive. Yeah. So right? the daughter died from hypertension, just like she did. It's so oh, sad. Really? Ugh. Yeah. Indianapolis's Walker Manufacturing Company headquarters building, renamed the Madam Walker Theater Center, opened in December 1927. It included the company's offices and a factory, as well as a theater, beauty school, hair salon, and barbershop, restaurant, drugstore, and a ballroom for the community. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was like, yeah. The building was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1980. On January 31st, 2022, Sundial Brands, a division of... Unilever, Unilever. On January 31st, 2022, Sundial Brands, a division of Unilever, 
launched a collection of 11 new products under the brand name Madam by Madam C.J. Walker and sold exclusively at Walmart. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So these products replace the line that was launched. These products replace the line that was launched on March 4th, 2016 by Sundial Brands, a skincare and hair company in collaboration with Sephora in honor of Walker's legacy. The line titled Madam C.J. Walker Beauty Culture compromised four collections and focused on the use of natural ingredients to care for different hair types. Oh, isn't that's that amazing? So cool? She is like, I feel like we did like absolute opposites. <laughs> I know. Um, usually we're well, like, not. I mean, your your woman was not an opposite. She was. I mean, a she did she get like, married yeah. at uh, twelve years old. Yeah, but she was like. I mean, she had no. I mean, she didn't have any. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't her fault. But I just feel like. Um, I feel like yeah, we're definitely on opposite. Like last week, it was strangely. They were strangely similar. It was very weird. That was weird, I was like, yeah. what's going on? When I was, like, doing the, the ads. So I do want to let you guys know um, just a little tidbit of information. So what I'm trying to do is once we talk about things, so I'll talk about um, – I talked about, like, uh, Madam Walker's um, line of cosmetics with her face on it. I'll, and the different things I talked about, I'll try and post them, to my best recollection, on our Instagram on the day of or the day before the release of the next episode. So this way, when when I'm talking about it, go to our Instagram and you can see the pictures that yeah. I'm talking about. So yeah. I'm trying to do that. And they'll automatically visualize. They'll automatically post to our Facebook as well. So what do you think of her, Rose? She's a badass. I, she's just kind of like Sojourner Truth and like yeah. all these women that like had no education. But like, I mean, how do you I imagine guess just like something would, inside of you that God, I wish I had it in me, you know? Yeah, she it had no Adderall back then. And she was super focused and she did it all. Like, it's amazing. I mean, she came literally from nothing and built yeah. built everything when everything was against her. Maybe she just looked at it like, oh, my gosh, I was born free, unlike my siblings. So I have all these chances. Like, I don't know. Maybe, like, it's just, yeah. Yeah, she, I, she's pretty cool. I'm pretty excited. I was really, I have to say, I'm really enjoying learning all these things about these women. I know, and, so my It really motivates me. Yeah, it does. And so I'm. it's kind of exciting and fun. And now, like, I have a whole list of, like, documentaries i want to watch now <laughs> like piling up because there's so many there's yeah. documentaries about her and yeah so i Too really want to doing this podcast now we don't have any time <laughs> I, I, absolutely you're correct 100 percent. like was it yes no yesterday's survivor so i got everything done but tuesday night i watched no tv i worked on my my story the entire yeah, night I until i went to bed i usually work on my story after the girls go to bed so like i start at like eight o'clock to like 10 o'clock and then I have to watch like Friends or something to get my yeah to your get mind. my mind like off of it. Numb, Especially yeah. this the story I did today. Oh I got, god, I had yeah, some that's weird a tough ass one. Nightmares about Jen about people being kidnapped and oh, Curious god. George and <laughs> Curious George kidnapped people and yeah. <laughs> Curious George was hanging out with us. It was very weird. <laughs> the man in the yellow hat kept knocking on the door. <laughs> Lily's <laughs> very into Curious George. I watch a lot of that, so it enters my <laughs> my nightmares. It's a nightmare, and then Curious George rolls in. <laughs> so weird. Oh my god! So make sure you guys please like, share, and comment, and subscribe, and subscribe. Yeah, we need more subscribers, guys. Give us a talk. You know, Thanksgiving perfect time. Talk to your family and be like, oh my gosh, you guys. I just started listening to the greatest podcast. These two badass bitches, actually, just unordinary one. women, me and Rose. <laughs> <laughs> 
basic bitches. Um, but yeah, share it with your family. Share it with your friends. Yeah, there is some cursing in it, but mm, most podcasts have that nowadays. So Yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. So we really appreciate all your support and feedback. And if you'd like to follow us, you can yes. follow us on no ordinary women pod dot com. That's well, our website. And you, there, but you, you, well, can look, you, can you can look at our website. Check out the website. <laughs> and then no. Same thing. Ordinary women pod on Instagram. No ordinary women pod on Facebook and no ord ord women pod on Twitter. Give us a shout out. Share all of our posts. Yeah, we love you guys. Us. We post reels every week to promote yes. our new episodes and I, pictures. A lot, lot of blood, sweat, and tears in those, you guys. Yeah, Lynn, Lynn does lots, a good, great job. Lots of blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> she's, she's learning. My kids are like, oh, my God, please don't ask me one more question. I hate you, Mom. <laughs> but thanks so much, you guys. Yes. It's been real. See you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Later. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble, gobble.